Welcome to the Draft Deeper Podcast. This is your host, Nathan Grubel. Joining me as always is my producer, Kevin Black, my co-host, Stephen Gillespie, and making his return on the Draft Deeper Podcast. It's been far too long since he's been on with me or when he was on with Stephen on, on Draft Capital from the Game Theory Podcast, Mr. Matt Penny. Matt, how you doing, bud? Um, I'm doing great. I'm happy to be here. I didn't know if I'd be invited back since you guys... <laughs> Literally formed the draft, Twitter, NWO, and work for you. I work for you. Has the NWO shirt on, uh, <laughs> NWO orange because that's the the background of your avatar. And uh, you guys are a supportive group. I, I like it when you, you send out a tweet and you're like, I don't know if it's going to hit or not. And it's like you see the responses like five orange backgrounds both liked it. It's like all right, the guy, <laughs> the guy, <laughs> the guys are on board. So I don't know if I need to be like initiated by being spray painted or something like uh like old school NWO, but. Regardless, I'm, I'm happy to be in your, your company and talk some draft stuff tonight. If you, if you ever want an avatar like ours, I'm, I'm pretty sure we can we can make that happen for you. But quick yeah. 50 bucks and, and it should be, it should be <laughs> yeah, jazz so. me up. Look, look, a look, cool look, 50. <laughs> 50 is nothing. Yeah. It's in the oh, oh, my God. Right. So, off. Matt, you are you are one of my favorite guests that I've ever had on the podcast. I've said this before and I'll say it again, you and Sam, when you guys do game theory, I mean, you guys are electric together. You're quite the combo and it's only right to have you on to talk about some of quote unquote, your guys in this 2022 draft class. Now I will, I will give the same disclaimer that I do every time we do this segment. Matt's not a cheerleader for these guys, literally waving around pom-poms like he would for you. <laughs> Steven's going. Yeah, I kind of am. Me, but... I got, I got, <laughs> I know guys one. Need pom-poms. Yeah, look, man, I, I was a walk-on. I, I know the pom-pom role. Like, you, you got to wave the towel a little bit. It's a quick, it's a quick funny aside. <laughs> we had, like, a breakdown uh, my junior year at UMass, and the coach, our coach is going around being like, are you a leader? Are you a leader? Everybody's saying no. And I said, yeah, I, I am. He's like, you're a, cheer, you're a cheerleader. You're a leader. Like, are you a leader? So <laughs> if, if you need some towel waving, you need some, uh, a little bit of intensity, a little bit more energy. I, I'm here for, for these guys, my guys. So not, not too much of trying to wave it, but uh, a little bit. They need a little bit of love too. You're not wrong. All right. All right. Maybe, maybe the last two guys, <laughs> according to Steven, maybe they need a few pom-poms being, being waved sure. in, in their favor, but the whole point of it is to talk about some guys from other people's point of view who may be undervalued or they believe that given where their draft stock is right now, they could absolutely outperform their draft stock should it stay current. So you picked quite the format. I am mm, so excited yes. about every single player that you picked, including the third guy that we'll talk about. He's near and dear to my heart. I know that he's been near and dear to your heart for a long time. We got this to might be Steven my favorite episode on paper. Uh, I'm just going to put that well, out here right now. Well, build the expectations up. Like, well, like, like, the, like they say in basketball, that's why they play the games, right? It's like, right. <laughs> it's yeah. always on paper. The line always looks right. Something's <laughs> going to cover. And then, hey, you, you went on some circus shot the buzzer. It's what happens. Well, you gave us excellent bulletin board material. I got this list of names. I sent them to Nathan. And it was just nothing but fire emojis between the oh, two of us when right. we got it. So let's start off. Let's let's start off going big or going home. Let's hit on Matt's very first guy that he wanted to talk about with us tonight. He's somebody who I also claimed as one of my guys when I did this very segment to kick off the series with Tyler Rucker, Johnny Davis out of mm-hmm. Wisconsin. And Matt, I'll be honest with you. He's I, I would still claim him as such. He slid down my board a tiny bit. I think that's more because of some other guys propping themselves up and making their cases. 
but I still value Johnny Davis for a number of reasons that I'm sure you're going to get into, but nearly 20 points per game, over eight rebounds per game, 42, 43% from the field, 24.3 PER, 52.3 true shooting percentage, 65th percentile in terms of total offense. You can look at some of the different offensive metrics, 78th percentile scoring out of the pick and roll, 85th percentile coming off screen, 79th on runners, 72nd on catch and shoot jump shots. There's a lot to like about his game. And really, Matt, he excels everywhere offensively by the numbers, except for isolation, which I'm sure that you'll get into some of those reasons in a second. But He's such a versatile offensive player. He's one of the better defensive guards that we can discuss in this class. Just his two-way impact. And I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Inside of the top 10, I'm not sure there was a prospect who had more of a workload on both ends of the floor than what he did. I mean, if he's half as good as what he is this year at Wisconsin, they're not making the type of run that they did. Um, They literally needed him to be the Big Ten player of the year. He was, they had an excellent season and his stock exploded out of nowhere. Um, you and Sam talked about, he wasn't on your guys' short list no. of players to watch coming into the season. He certainly wasn't on mine. I don't <laughs> think he was on Stevens either, but no, sir. <laughs> here, here we are. One of the best tough shot makers in the class with plenty of questions, but nevertheless, I love him. I know Steven loves him and I know mm-hmm. you love him. So Matt, why do you love him so much? Why is he one of your guys? Uh, you covered it. Let's go to the next guy. So I got no, everything <laughs> you said is, is spot on. And and I shot my shot early, despite, like you said, I, I didn't have him on my preseason board as a guy that was going to do this. And I didn't think I was going out on a limb when I did shoot my shot because he had 30 points in his fourth game of the year against Houston. He ends up as national play of the year in a couple places. He averages nearly 20 points per game. They win a share of the big 10 championships. But it's been sort of like this weird ride as a prospect as he's tapered off closer to kind of like that 8 to 10 range now, it seems, where for a while he was fifth. And I I just felt he carried the load for his team a lot. He definitely forced some bad shots, and people started getting nitpicky of that later in the year. For the next level, he projects as a scoring combo. He's tough, can use physicality when needed, but that's not necessarily like his total game either. Like it's strong, but it's not bully ball. You have to be able to like separate that. And some of the sets like Wisconsin runs where he'd get that flex screen or quick into the post. I don't think he's going to run that all the time, but they're taking advantage Mm -hmm. of mismatches and and using that, how he could power through some contact, finish at the rim, get the free throw line. So we end the season with him leading a second half comeback versus Colgate, then legitimately limping to the finish line. He goes four (laughs) for 16, a loss against Iowa State. And and he was injured. He was. And and that's not on him. And he wasn't going to come out and complain or come up with an excuse. When they're better scores and better floor spacers out there with them, his game is going to be even better. The the mm-hmm. lane, despite not having traditional fives per se on that roster, the lane was still clogged and he was double teamed. He was pressured. He was face guarded. He had no offensive safety valve on Wisconsin to kind of like take a, a player two off. It's the same thing on defense. I'd argue he was cooked out there most of the time. So I we haven't seen like the 100% johnny davis where he probably the first like five or six games a year before teams adjusted said holy crap like this is something and then after that he he like fought through it and found a way it, it wasn't always the prettiest I, I buy the scoring qualities i buy the defensive qualities playing kind of like a safety off the ball he has the leadership this is a pretty easy one for me i, I was definitely over ambitious early having him maybe as high as third i have him sixth right now Okay, uh, I, I'm willing to bet that he's still someone we'd look back on and say we overthought it, like we did. Like it's, I, I know that it, 
and I've also taken a step back and I, and I think for you guys too, the season ends and I hope you like refresh for like a few days because we watch so many games, just the same stuff over and over. <laughs> <laughs> Steven Shakes. Steven, Steven doesn't he refresh me. Yeah, this guy's like you, him, you, him and him and Rucker are chugging the red Bulls, <laughs> the coffee or whatever, just like powering to 3 a.m. Well, well, for me though, when when you go back and and now like look at the tape again, and I've done that with a bunch of guys, I, I feel better about it because toward the end, I, I didn't know the direction we were going with the the tough shots were getting tougher, the the shooting metrics weren't great overall, but I, I do think that he's going to be a great guard once he has another great guard lead guard next to him and then some wings that can score and some bigs that can protect the lane and let him get in transition a little bit too. So I think, I think the three point shot comes into question, which I would agree that that's a fair concern. However, I, I'm not concerned with anything inside the arc. And no. I think a lot of people do want to throw out, he doesn't create separation very well. I think that's overblown. And uh, one yeah. of the reasons why I wanted to go to Rutgers to see him in person uh, I mean, obviously, what if I have the chance to go to the trapezoid tear? Why the hell not, right? But <laughs> I, I wanted to go see Johnny in person to study that aspect specifically. Th- three things, really. One was he the same underrated passer that I thought he was on film? Did some of that stand out to me in person? Number two, what did the defense look like in person? And number three, was he able to create separation? Did it look as hard for him as it does sometimes on tape, or were those concerns a little bit overblown? I erred on the second part of that. I think they're absolutely overblown against multiple great defenders that Rutgers had and what they do overall as a defensive team. He was still able to create good shots off the bounce, plenty of space. Some of those shots just didn't go into the first half, which he seems to be kind of like this second half player. Like sometimes he'll come out a little slow in the first half, comes back after halftime, gets himself going. He really gets in a good groove. And that much held true in the second half of that game. But really, we've seen that all year. I think when he gets to the NBA and he's in so many more matchups where it's 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 one-on-one with space yeah. where it kind of has a little bit of room to dance around with ball versus constantly being double, triple team, balls being forced out of his hands. NBA defense, particularly early on in his career, like they're not going to scheme that heavily oh, around no. Johnny Davis. Like they're no. just not. So are you in the same camp as Wall where that – Maybe you have some concerns about the three-point shot, but everything inside the arc, you think it's money? Yeah, totally. And, and you see some of the guys like Trey Murphy getting some minutes and stuff and in the NBA playoffs. And the reason that he's having success is that it's the same type of role he was playing before, but he's not like schematically being tackled every time he touched the ball. Because Johnny <laughs> Davis, it wasn't to injure him, but it was like, hey, be physical with him, yeah. get him on the free throw line, make him earn it, have anybody else shoot. And it's different if you have – Chucky Hepburn next to you or in a year it's Brad Beal like okay like pick mm-hmm. your poison you want to take the guy who's averaging 30 points per game or the rookie who's a little bit unproven I've seen him mocked kind of lately more places like seven eight nine ten range mm-hmm. on the Spurs at nine or the Wizards at 10 and he's there I'm doing backflips I'm like I'm, I have it written down on paper just like take it because I he, he will certainly outplay that I, I see Jaden Ivey being ahead of him like I, I totally get that with the athletic upside the twitch whatever but other than him like that's the next guard that I, I frankly have coming off the board before I let Steven hop in here you mentioned a few NBA teams my favorite fit was where I mocked him when we did our latest mock draft I mocked him he actually fell to the New York Knicks I love that fit where, where do you think his, his, his best fit would be in that range not I just I don't want to – he would actually fit defensively with what the Knicks want to do. I just also don't want to be grinded into the ground and playing 
49 minutes in a 48 minute game or, or whatever it is. He's a young leg. So, so he can do it. And he takes the coaching too. Um, I, just somewhere that he's able to play kind of early. Like you don't want a, a book night situation where you're playing like no yeah. minutes on, on a roster. Like he's going to need reps too, despite being a sophomore, like the maturation process of his game, he's still going to need to be on the floor, but it also wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. If it's someplace with, that has some veteran leadership that says, Hey, like here's a, an easier way to get your jumper off as opposed to like forcing one way or another. And the separation thing, like I, I, I understand the point of it, but at the same time, like th- there's enough guards in the league that shoot it well enough that don't have crazy separation either. Yeah. And and that just feels like a, a dig that he, okay, didn't have separation, still averaged 20 points per game, won the Big Ten, and played on one ankle in the NCAA tournament and still made the second round. I'm good with him. Go ahead, Steven. I know, I know you want to dive in here. Yeah, one point that I wanted to talk, we briefly touched on it, but one question that I wanted to ask was about the shooting in particular because I think the reason why he's sliding down is – I think that there's a lot of people that didn't really pay attention to him enough until the tournament started. Right. And we talked about the injury, things like that, but the, the shooting percentages, you know, just to call them what they are, you know, they're, they're not pretty, you know, but we, yeah, yeah, they're, they're they're not pretty at all. So do you think that that's a concern for him at the next level? Or do you just think that's simply a matter of teams selling out completely on him on a night to night basis? Maybe a little bit. I, I, I talked about it before, too. Like, that Colgate game, you could see he was laboring. Like, he wasn't yeah. – that first half, he was just settling, not even pushing off the leg. As Even the best of times, I don't think he gets a crazy amount of separation, but it was even less. And then it was kind of like he flipped the switch. was like, all right, whatever. I'm just going to play until my leg falls off. Uh, even the Duncan transition, I talked to a few people in that game. I don't know if you guys remember, but he didn't even really mm-hmm. get, get off the ground. So it didn't no. seem like – the the total Johnny Davis package and I don't want to completely give him that as a bailout either because during the year it was healthy the numbers still weren't great uh I went and saw them play at uh, Purdue was at Wisconsin and, and late in the game he like banked in a three or hit like a bad three yeah but he felt like he like he had to like if it wasn't him like who was going to do that um and with the role changing and not have to carry that I also think he'll be a better defender too not that he was a mm-hmm. bad defender by any stretch but he'll have so much more energy to kind of chase the ball more and shoot passing lanes to get on the break and just kind of projects as like a higher level complimentary player. I also don't think that he's going to be a, like the cornerstone of a franchise, but a great sure. second, third in command, but a, a starter nonetheless. Yeah, I agree with that. And if you look at some of these defensive numbers, right, overall defensively per synergy, I think he's in what, like the 35th percentile. So people could look at that and say, okay, well, you're talking about his two-way ability. Uh, synergy says otherwise and if synergy says otherwise then why are we even saying anything well, well if you <laughs> if you continue to dig right well first off watch the film for any naysayer out there but synergy also points out that he's in the 73rd percentile defending spot ups 74th on defending handoffs and then 88th percentile on defending catch and shoot jumpers so to me matt when i'm looking at those numbers in particular and i'm trying to visualize what he looks like at the next level and what role he's going to play the fact that these kind of off-ball defensive numbers look as good as they do in conjunction with the film, right, like just watching them, there were several plays where I've seen him kind of climb the ladder and, and block a shot. Yeah, you chase know, kind down. Of, yep. yeah, chase down blocks and playing passing lanes, things like that. With that rest that, we're, that we've kind of been talking about that we assume that he's going to get wherever he, whenever he goes to wherever he goes, I think that the defense is actually going to look a lot better. But, Matt uh, – I talked about Sacramento being like an ideal place for him too, right? Because, you know, they kind of need winners. 
Dante Givincenzo is kind of like, hey, I don't want to be here anymore. And they just got they <laughs> I think just that's got half the roster. Yeah, but <laughs> right. we're, we're well, on a spade of spade here. I think Buddy, it took Buddy Hill like four off seasons of saying I don't want to be here anymore for them to finally get rid of him. So we'll see <laughs> if that plays true. But is there an ideal way that you could see an NBA team using him like kind of schematically more so in particular than like role or uh just team fit? Like what's the best way to use a guy like him? the best way to maximize his talents is kind of like, don't put him in a box. And I, and I don't think that'll necessarily happen. Sometimes with rookies, the, the role is so simplified and I, I am a believer in his basketball feeling IQ. So yeah, use those yeah. little flex cuts, use the stuff out in transition, let him pull up, mm-hmm. let him play out a pick and roll. Let him be the second guy that like a guy sets a screen up top that comes back down and gets him. He played dribble handoff. So he can be that like secondary ball handler too. And as on your synergy point to it. And I, I love synergy. I, I live on synergy and, I, I could not do whatever half-assed job I do uh, without it. That being said, the numbers, I know it's like numbers don't lie, yeah. but they kind of do. Like I pulled it up yesterday. I watched Victor Wambayama. That's another podcast for another day. But like all Ooh, the, all, all the that's a buzzword. All the statistical <laughs> categories are like below average, average, good. Uh, if we judged off that, that guy would be like the 25th pick in next year's draft. And I don't think he's going outside the top two. So it, it's, it's just like you said, you, you got to watch the film. You got to watch the context of it. Wisconsin was a different situation. It was an unbelievable ride and run. It, it helped catapult him to this real lottery talk. There's also drawbacks there that we don't talk enough about. And defense is more so like team dependent. I would say when you look at the way that they use statistics as opposed to the offensive size, where it can be a little bit more individual. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So moving on from Johnny, mm-hmm. speaking of, Speaking of synergy numbers, I could read off plenty Ooh. for Oof. this next guy that I want to talk about, which would be Malachi Branham out of yes. Ohio State. Matt, I know, I know that he's one of your favorites because you, you and Sam, outside of talking about the top three, you two do love to talk about Mr. Malachi. Branham. <laughs> we, were, we, we were fighting over him because when we did the last <laughs> mock draft, and I talked to enough people that said like assistant coaches, scouts saying. It's coming. Like, have be prosperous of the week. Have something. It's coming. And I, and I didn't know if and when. And we missed it by like two days. He like had a good game or two. Mm. I was like, ah, damn it. Like we should have shot our <laughs> shot. But then we did the mock draft. We were like waiting for the next guy not to take him. I was like, whatever. I'm taking him at 16, which seemed high, but now it seems lower. So I'll let you kind of set the stage statistically on on Malachi Branham from but, Ohio State. I mean, as far as Malachi, so really the breakout happened. January 2nd against Nebraska, yeah. the game where he had 35 points. Well, by, by the way, a lot of people had good games against Nebraska. No, no right. Against so your beloved there. Bryce McGowan. <laughs> right. So that, that was my that was my slowdown. He, he was great there and had 30. And then it was – was it later that week with the Northwestern free throw? 24, game? yep. Yep. Yeah, he had, what, 14 from 16 in the free throw line. So I didn't know – I was still figuring out who the guy was. Yeah. Like, Listen, Stephen, you leave Bryce McGowan <laughs> out of this podcast, okay? Just leave, sweet, leave my sweet guy Bryce McGowan. Leave my guy alone. Anyways, but so those are the two main breakout games he had. And we started talking about him a little bit in our No Ceilings chat. Tyler Metcalf brought him up some. And we were calling all of us talking like, listen, he's a freshman. Like, he's had two good games. He really hasn't done much right. before these two games. Like, let's kind of just – not overreact like everybody else on Twitter. Let's see what happens for the rest of the season, right? Well, turns out that player was actually who he was going to be for the majority of second half of the year. I mean, you can read off some of the numbers, 20 points 
against Purdue. Then he goes on, he scores 19, two games after that. Then he goes on a run where he finishes the season every game in double figures for like, I believe like 12 games straight or something along those lines. So like this guy exploded out of nowhere and kept it going. The spot up King is I would love to coin him. I mean, this guy is just pure money from anywhere on the floor 87 percentile in terms of total offense 90th percentile in isolation 94th percentile scoring out of pick and roll um 92nd percentile in pick and roll including passes love to see that then again some of the shooting splits 89th percentile on catch and shoot shots 89th percentile on long jump shots and then you can look at some of the defensive metrics as well he does right out there pretty well and i Mm -hmm. think the film would certainly back up some of that stuff in terms of him being able to guard multiple spots in the backcourt but really i don't know if you're necessarily drafting malachi brandon because of his defense we're here to talk about his (laughs) offense and boy there is a ton to talk i mean i mean matt like guards who have like close to a 60 true shooting percentage that's that's stupid especially for a freshman so i didn't i didn't expect to see a lot of what i did going back on the film but I mean, this guy is so steady. He's not explosive. He's not one of these guys who's going to jump out of the gym from the shooting guard spot. But in terms of the, his pace of play, how he sort of sets up some of his shots, he's more than comfortable getting somebody on his hip and kind of operating from there. How he rises up for his shot. He's so smooth every single time he could do it with a hand in his face. If you go under a screen or if you, I, I think this is my biggest takeaway with him is that what, even when he gets to the NBA, He's not somebody who you can just put like your third or fourth or fifth best defender on him and say, all right, well, you, you guard this guy just because he's a rookie. Like we'll live with the results. Like, no, Malachi is so smart of a score and so skilled. Like he will punish bad defenders. And he did that over the course of the year. And it got to the point where he got so many, so much practice and so much repetition against some of those guys that when teams started to figure out how to better defend him and they put better guys on him, he was so comfortable doing every single thing that he did on some of those earlier defensive matchups that he just got cooking and he never slowed down. And so that's what stands out to me is that like an NBA team could look at this guy's like the team that drafts him, like their third or fourth best offensive player. And they could kind of scheme towards other guys. And all of a sudden you're seeing Malachi Brandon put up like 25 in ways oh, that yeah. the other team didn't expect. So I understand some of, the concerns in that he's not the most electric athlete or he's not the flashiest type of player, but at the same time, guys who are that efficient and that dangerous, I think you, I think you kind of have to take them in the lottery at this point. Like, oh, I, totally. I, I don't, yeah. I don't see an argument against it. So I, is that kind of where you're at on Malachi? It is. And I'll start by saying, I, I do feel a little bit cheap saying it's one of my guys because it did come on late and it was January. This wasn't like November where I said, Hey, this is my guy. My guy was Keegan Murray and I don't have to talk about him because he's going to be a top five pick. So <laughs> Keegan, thank you. I'm glad you ascended to, to where you are. <laughs> Somebody else to talk about you. Some other podcasts. R- Rutgers but- already talked about him on like 10 different podcasts. <laughs> Absolutely. So, so have I. Like, shut up. It was like me with Franz Wagner <laughs> last year. But Franz ended up being okay. So I feel a little bit validated, vindicated, I guess. Anyway, for Malachi, uh, just, there's just shooting splits. Like 50 from the field, 42 from three, 83 from the free throw line. For a year at six foot five, plays both on and off the ball. I, I do love that one to two dribble pull up that he has. He gets yeah, great yeah. elevation on a shot, so he might not beat you horizontally, but he does beat you vertically when he does pull up. And he became more of a knockdown shooter late and, and figure out how to use screens a little bit more, maneuver them, be smarter, hesitate more in the corner, let the screen come to you, then come flying off. 
from February on, he was almost 18 points per game. He had 27 against Indiana, 31 against Illinois, and the percentages stayed similar. We talked about Johnny Davis. There was a dip. There was no dip here. So the, yeah. the points went up. The percentages stayed the same or a little bit better. Uh, the assist-to-turnover ratio being even, like, yes, that's, that's room for improvement there. Not the quickest guy. It is more deliberate on his drives, the way he gets to him. He lacks that wiggle or slipperiness that some elite-level NBA guards have. But the NBA is also a ball screen heavy league. And yep. I love how he operates out of those. He uses various speeds when it comes off it. He has a pump fake and jab series to get guys shifting. This is another guy that wasn't on draft boards really until mid-January or later. Mm-hmm. And I think he's going to be a top 10 pick. I mean, that's how highly he's thought of around the league right now. Because what we haven't really done, and I'm sure you guys have, because you talk about this stuff like all day long. <laughs> if you just pulled the combo guards and guards together, like, a lot of people are high on Ty Ty Washington. I don't know how high necessarily you guys are, right? But no, or are you both like I've, 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 I've cooled on him? I've cooled on him from where I was at. Like I think I think at this point, Sam is now higher on him than than I was. Wow, but, I'm well, like around like the late teens, early twenties is where I'm at with him. So I, I have 19 right now, so probably the same yeah. spot as you. But I'm looking at my board as we're talking, right? So I, I just advocated for Johnny Davis. I have Malachi Branham next. I think Shaden Sharp and AJ Griffin are more of that wing talk. But yeah. if you put Ochai Bobby in that bucket, if you put Blake Wesley in that bucket, put Ty Ty Washington in that bucket, of those guys, what one skill do they do significantly better than what Malachi Branham does? And I have a hard time getting there. So if I'm That's a, a good that needs point. a guard that needs a combo, and those are kind of like the four or five, like we got our bigs, we need a wing, we need like a, a one, two, more of a two. Uh, it, it, it's going to be a conversation about how high up this guy can go. Go ahead, Steven. I know, yeah. I know you want to dive in on him as well. Yeah, for sure. Well, first off, Matt, yeah, thanks for just dropping like that complete can of worms on top of me by asking that question the way you did. We're supposed to be asking you the questions here. Oh, um, it's an old podcast <laughs> trick. You don't know the answers. Ask the, uh, yeah. the host something else. Well, what do you think? Uh, do the Sam all the time. Like I just blank <laughs> out. Like question I had for you, actually. So yes, I'm, I'm sorry. Squid sorry pro to throw roll. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> so, Matt, we talk all the time about how players like Malachi and even Johnny Davis to another extent, right? Like he was a freshman last season. We didn't have a prior year of college with uh, Malachi Branham. Yeah. And we're talking about how he came out of nowhere. Can we just elaborate a little bit on how out of nowhere he came from? Like what, how heavily recruited was he? Like, obviously he was good enough to land at Ohio state, which isn't like the best basketball school, but it's not a poor one either, you know? So like he, he was recruited and was able to go to Ohio state was there any sort of buzz about him coming in at all? Like, or yeah, was, was he legitimately an out of nowhere guy? He was still a top 40 guy. And if I'm not mistaken, I think he went to St. Vincent St. Mary high school where mm-hmm. LeBron James went. So you're, you're naturally going to yeah, uh, <laughs> get some buzz there, but not, uh, it's kind of like the Johnny Davis thing. I thought they'd be rock solid. I didn't think I'd be talking about him on a draft podcast in nine months. So I was surprised. And, and even when, he had that game against Nebraska. I was watching four Bryce McGowan's and I was like, maybe I missed on Malachi Branham. And then he kind of like tapered a little bit and it wasn't quite the same. So it, it's just more ahead of schedule than anything. Uh, with, with guys that kind of played that style of deliberate game, how I outlined, you don't necessarily say like, hey, that's that's a top 10 pick. Like we talk right. about top 10 picks about Shane Sharp when you see the highlights from UIBL, the grind session, he's getting up and down and hitting sidestep threes. And it's like, what? who is this person? <laughs> right. So, <laughs> 
it's more of kind of like getting your mind to, to actually see it on the tape and the film and the way that he scores. And then that's how I got there. And I think that's how a lot of NBA folks are getting there too. Yeah. And it feels like a lot of these guys in this draft class in particular, kind of the top tier guys are more of that deliberate style of play, like yeah. more steady, more steady play. Uh, the last question that I wanted to ask you about was playing alongside EJ Liddell this season, right? Like everyone watched Ohio State at the beginning of the season for EJ Liddell. And I still feel like people are, are relatively high on him uh, as they were perhaps coming into the season, maybe even higher. What is yeah. playing next to a guy like EJ Liddell do for Malachi Brandon? Because typically I think what the narrative would be is like guys might take a little bit of shine off of one another but it didn't look like that happened at all this season like EJ played phenomenally all season long right so what do you think playing next to a season guy like an EJ Liddell does for a prospect like Malachi Branham who was definitely probably played more than uh, people would expect it helps we, we just talked about Johnny Davis how who's like the number two guy there Ohio State it was definitely EJ Liddell and he had those games I think the game on the road at Minnesota where he just like absolutely destroyed guys. So that allows Malachi to not have his foot on the gas at all times, even though like, I don't know how, how much of an engine he has. Like it's not a V8. It's like a really good V6 because he's not <laughs> as fast as everybody else, but to be able to kind of not take plays off, but know like this is going to be touch for EJ. If they double down on move off the ball and, and you saw some of the stuff in the tournament, those first two games, they hit the post and, I'm a big proponent of like hit it and move, right? Go to the corner. Yeah. Go. Sometimes you just stay there because this guy just like immediately dove down, just catch and shoot. It's really simple. Like Malachi Branham sometimes was able to just run the wing and spot in the corner and transition. Like, oh yeah, here's a guy who's going to be a lottery pick in the corner. Like here's a skip pass. So it, it just made life easier for him to be able to have such a presence in the post. And EJ is also able to step out a little bit more. So the defense is pulled out. The Malachi can go to the rim a little bit. So they, they played off each other well, despite not always being in the same actions with each other, like away from it, they both impacted one of those games. And it was a benefit for both as we're talking about probably two top 20 ish picks. Yeah. And I feel like when I watch guys like that play alongside of each other, I hardly ever feel like it's kind of taking shine away from one another. To me, yeah. I look like, okay, this is what Malachi Brandon can play like next to another NBA level player, right? Like that's how I, I try to look at that kind of pairings like that. And I'm a sucker for for a lot of things like that too, where it's like Malachi Brand, you can just kind of plop them. I'm not like, what's the best fit? I'm like, wherever. Like there's some yeah. guys that are very specific. <laughs> it's like he has to go to a franchise that develops him this way. He has to play next to this guy. I, I think he can play off and he shows he's able to play off really anybody because the offense wasn't drawn up for for him. And then later in the year they changed it, but the the pieces didn't have to change around him. That's how like malleable he was around everybody else. So you're saying he's draft proof? Is that what you're saying right now? No, man? I'm never is... saying that. No. Oh, okay, I was okay. gonna I just want to make sure. I gotta say something bad before I get off. <laughs> Can't beat anybody. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's right. why he's seventh, not seventeenth, right? I I, I think I the it. last point to to hit on him, but before we move on to the next guy, Matt is. I mean, there, there's there's even more shooting splits that that we could go through for him. But really, it it, it, it is crazy. That, that's but... the, that's the beauty when we when he passes the eye test and the analytics test. That's the oh, one time like NBA front office are like actual like the handshake emoji of but like, does we, he have we, a we bag though yeah <laughs> yeah i don't know <laughs> that's that, there's, that... there's a lot of nba guys who thought they had a bag haven't played the playoffs yet but that's another podcast again for another day <laughs> our own um our own tyler medcalf no ceilings nba.com yeah. actually double dipped in on malachi brandon last week and he had originally highlighted some of the scoring versatility he actually 
did a piece last week on his passing as well. Yeah. And it's, it's not just the shooting and the scoring, but you also factor in the passing, the ball handling ability. I think right now we would peg him as more of a complimentary offensive piece. Yeah. However, he's still so young, right. And he's, he's scoring and operating within the offense at levels that I certainly didn't see coming. I think you, you said ahead of schedule was the best term for you. Is this a guy who we might be able to look back on like two, three years from now, and he's just handling a level of volume within an NBA offense that we just didn't see coming? Like, do you think there's more to tap into with him? Or do you kind of think like maybe a slightly better version of what he was this year? Like maybe that's his upside. Probably split the difference. It could be a better version of what it was this year. It depends on as much as I said he can play anywhere, it does depend on kind of like the veterans, the offensive load around him too. Like, is he going to have the freedom to take 20 shots a game and, and search? Is he going to have a situation like Donovan Mitchell where you put on a team where like they need scoring now, like go get it. Like I, I love Donovan, Donovan Mitchell. I, I watched him play all throughout high school in, in Louisville and I never, ever saw this, but he ended up in a franchise that like, hey, we need a spark. Go take 17, 18 shots a game. If Malachi Branham... Right gets to a place like that it's possible if he gets to a place where you already have somebody who's averaging 25 28 points per game it, it might be a more of a, a longer drawn out process and i remember watching donovan mitchell at louisville in his sophomore year and scouting him and i i wrote down in my notes multiple times I'm, i i i kept on checking so many boxes in a positive manner that i asked myself i'm like how is this not going to hit like what is actually going to stop this guy from like not being a good nba player and I don't know. I'm, then, I'm not, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm not making out. turns out you were right. Nathan. Yeah, good scout. Yeah. I, I, I'm not making a direct comparison to Donovan Mitchell, but you could kind of look at Malachi no. Branham in the same way. Like he checks so many by like what, what is going to stop him from being a good NBA player? And I think it, that's probably the reason why he's, he's popped uh, up so long. A, a head coach that doesn't play rookies. That, that's a, that's a good stopper uh, for, for a lot of these guys. Is it's there true, a particular team that you're talking uh, about? I'm not right doing now? that. No? No? Okay. <laughs> I'm not doing that. Similar with Johnny Davis, though, is there a situation in particular that you would kind of like to see Branham in? Like, is there any any fit that catches your eye? I have, your head? As the amount of, I'll have to look on Tankathon as we're on here because, like, with each passing day, he goes up a spot or two. So I don't even know who's like in that range <laughs> anymore. But he's not, I wouldn't want him to, I don't, he's not going to go this high, but like, I wouldn't want him to go to the Rockets who already have an abundance yeah. of guards. I yeah. wouldn't want him to go to the Magic who already have an abundance of guards. I wouldn't want him to go to OKC because they've kind of already sort of figured out their thing there. So someone down a peg or two below i think could work like sacramento it, might be cool for you, him you, as well you gotta be on sacramento payroll you do uh sacramento I, I actually, portland both those guys i think Jaden ivy's the ideal fit for the pacers but if you had mm -hmm. either of those two next to halliburton and duarte on the other wing I'd, I'd like to watch that too i don't know how many games they'd win but i'd like to watch it all right matt it's time oh, to talk boy. about <sighs> our yeah. our beloved i feel like i have to Josh Minot. Yes, yeah. this is this is exactly where we need to go. I will say we got to sell Steven a little bit. Steven is yeah. is not sold on Mr. I'm not Minot. either, but I, I have to sell myself. Oh, I, I don't know why. What? Hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm sold, but like I it's not like this is his pet project or anything. Like he declared <laughs> he, de he, de he declared and it was like, all right, all right, I, I hope this, I hope this works. I hope it goes through the process, gets the right information. And he said, like, I want to be like Josh Primo. I'm like, oh, this is this is Hold like on, off buddy. the tracks, like we're going. <laughs> so it, it's hard because the 
flashes were awesome, right? But the the lack of film, the lack of consistent minutes, I don't necessarily think that was his fault per se, but it it was. And like the it, that was the circumstance, put it that way. And and I'm always somebody searching out for late bloomers, the the guys who are heralded younger they just face so much like bull crap coming up there's just so much stuff can go wrong everybody's poking holes in their game give me the guy with the chip on his shoulder who like came on there late so for for Minot he was on the radar during that COVID season like so many other guys were and mm-hmm. he, he peaked he was getting there and he goes to Iverson Classic all-star game was really good he crushes the Memphis Pro Day so I was excited going to the year he's six foot eight he's, he's six eleven wingspan or so and then he's all over the court when he gets out there. He defends multiple spots. He gets a lane for steals. He rotates blocks on the rim. Sometimes I didn't even know he checked in. And then, like, just out of, <laughs> out of frame, comes in and blocks on the rim. I'm like, why does he play more? This is crazy. Uh, <laughs> offensively, when That's he's great said, going man. downhill or in transition, I, I really like his vision, his passing on the move. Every time he's out there, some, like, something happens. His jumper's bad. The form is pretty clunky. He was 2 for 14 for 3 during the season. Terribly small sample set. But then it's like, here's the overall season analysis. There's a log jam for minutes, right? So he sort of turns yeah. the corner at the beginning of the year once Monty Bates goes down for an injury. So for the month of January, in the heart of conference play, he's playing 26 minutes a night. I'm like, great, perfect. He's averaging in that stretch 11 points, seven and a half rebounds, 2.4 assists, 1.4 steals. Great. Then I don't know who he hurt on the Memphis staff. I don't, <laughs> because everything kind of like went away minutes, points, shot attempts. Since February 1st, he scored in double digits three out of his last 14 games. This is a guy who is mm. averaging double figures, close to double-double. Single-digit minutes the last four games of the year, which just didn't make a ton of sense to me as the previous tournament game, he had 12 points, seven rebounds, two assists in 17 minutes. I want to be very clear. This is an absolute swing shot in the dark, dart, whatever analogy we want. Oh, it's oh, it's a dart. And speak, speaking uh, yeah. of darts, like you talked about, he he might want to be like Josh Primo. I think Chuck would see him that way. I think Chuck has him like late lottery right now. And I'm like, <laughs> Jesus Christ, Chuck. Well, it's, it's it's like even with Primo, though. Primo, his year at Alabama, he had 15 points more five times. He played 23 minutes a night. He shot 43, 38, 75. There's so much yeah. more film to dissect. Josh, Josh Minot's inconsistency. He, he played about 15 minutes a night. So for Minot, he's a hybrid forward. He leaves his fingerprints on the game. If it's an up-and-down system that needs switchable guys on defense, like so many teams do in the NBA, I'm in. Much more of a fit guy for him. I have him at like 29th or 30th, teetering there in the first round. I would like to take him 38th, 39th, 40th. I think he still gets taken that range, and I'd be kicking myself if he pans out and said, hey, I want to play it safe for 10 more picks. Have you seen any of the videos recently where he has been working on oh, he's shooting? He's shooting now, looks, guys. Look, so, looks so much I better, have. Matt. So, so, somebody tagged me on it, and, and <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm also guilty of this. Why not? Because because I, I love uh, I love workout videos. I do, and uh, I, I had the James Book Night video last year. He hits 29 out of 30 or whatever, and you, you got to remember. And you guys have been around basketball and college yep. and pro or whatever. Pro players don't miss at workouts. They don't mm-hmm. like I when you go even watch like pregame, you get there an hour early. Like guys who shoot 29% from three, like don't miss. You're supposed to make shots on an open gym. So I'm trying not to have that stuff sway me as much. Uh, so you have kind of like the James Book Knights of the world where he didn't get minutes, but it didn't happen. But then you have Scotty Barnes who gets to a great developmental system in Toronto and he ended up shooting about 30% from three. Let's not go crazy, but it's way better than I thought it would be. 
So I'm glad the form has changed. I kind of want to take it as it comes. That'll just be like a bonus ball if the shot gets there. I would be investing in everything else first. And I would agree wholeheartedly. I mean, so I got on the Josh Minot train, which is really funny, Matt, because this is how you and I kind of met, or, met <laughs> our, each other on Twitter. Um, but every year before the season, because I do not pay as much attention over the course of the year to the grassroots. Um, I'm yeah. not as invested in the high school stuff because I'm so focused on the draft. Like there's so many guys that I have to evaluate then. So every year I will kind of just peruse through rosters and I'll try to like get to know players a little bit, look at the measurables, see who really stands out. That's how I found Josh Primo last year and went back and watched some of the high school stuff after sort of discovering him on his little quote unquote roster on the college page. And I did the same thing with Josh Minot. And I'm like, why aren't more people talking about this kid? So then I go to Brooklyn to go see Memphis play live earlier in the year against Iowa State with Corey. And I'm watching this kid like in, in the layup lines, like throwing down oh, these yeah. like Ridiculous. vicious dunks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely crazy, crazy athlete. And then he gets in the game when he actually does play. That's that's an important right. point to know right. about all this. But he, he was like one of the smartest players on the court for Memphis. Absolutely underrated as a playmaker defensively. And then just doing all of the little things, making the right things happen on offense. Exactly as you said, like something happens every time he comes in the game, like yeah. good things just happen. And I like those guys with the physical tools, with everything that's probably going to pan out at the NBA level. And yeah, if we're talking about if the jump shot is the one thing that's likely holding them back, I, I think it's, I think it can be worked out. It's not going to be an, an immediate, like all of a sudden he's coming into the NBA shooting like 33% from three. Like, no, it's not going to be that, but like, can he get there after multiple years of development with the right team? I really think he can. And there's so much more to like on both ends of the floor that really paint a picture for him as being a valuable role player at such an important position for NBA teams. And that's a big reason why I've kind of been on the train with them. Um, the one thing, though, I will say defensively that concerns me, do I think he's switchable and versatile? Yes. However, I don't know how often I want him on an island against against right. better, quicker, sure. shiftier guards. That's like the one thing. I think I think everything is there as far as the tools. I think he'll be able to wall people off, but he's a little slow reacting at different points. So like that stuff's going to get him beat at the NBA level every now and then until he fixes up some of that. But other than that, I really like a lot of different things that, that he brings to the table. So Steven, I guess I'll kick it to you and maybe you can kind of put it out there to Matt and I, like, why do you not even see like the late first, early second grade with, with mine now? Like what's really holding you back? I'm kind of in the uh, early second at the highest, but I'm kind of like in that middle second round that, um, that Matt was talking about. And Nathan, just pointing out real quick to your not being on an island, he is in the 99th percentile on defending pick and roll ball handlers. So I uh, just wanted to throw that out there real okay. quick. Okay. Okay. All right. Here, <laughs> no. here, here we go. So, so I'm not on island. We'll wait the t shirts now. Print them. Yes. <laughs> Orange t shirts, white fonts, NW on the back, mine on island in the front. Mine on island. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So back to the show. Um, yeah, what really kind of throws me off is that I feel like he is kind of projecting with the next prospect oh, that we're going to talk Yeah. I, with the next prospect that we're going to talk about, I don't know why, but I just feel more confident in him actually yeah. translating and living up to what we thought he was going to be coming into the season. But with Minot, I just kind of look at that kind of player type. And I don't know, like I, I think of like guys like uh, Michael Kidd, Gilchrist, like a Ronde or, you know, Ronde Hollis Jefferson, 
uh, Stanley Johnson, like forward to Ertulzi, right? Like project to be switchable, can handle the ball a little bit, um, defend, rebound, do all that stuff. But the shooting is like really what kind of kills these prospects. And that's why I'm a little bit more hesitant and put them kind of closer to that early to, to second or excuse me, early to middle second round pick. But Matt, I got a couple questions here for you. Um, the first off is how much does not playing with probably like an above average college point guard kind of hurt Minot's prospects and how we look at him now? Because I felt like we talked about that a lot with Jalen Duran, and rightfully so, because you know, pick and rolls and things like that. But I feel like that also can be applied to Josh Minot, who looks like he's gonna be a pretty good cutter, you know, and and probably a good screen setter as well, you know, positionally speaking. So he's he's a play finisher. That's exactly what he is. Yeah. Correct. So do you think that that's equally as applicable to Minot as it was to Jalen Duran? You guys make so many like graphics and gifs that my brain just starts going to like a weird place. You say he's a great finisher. <laughs> so I'm like, I wonder if they're going to do like a Mortal Kombat Josh Minot, like doing <laughs> a neutrality thing. Uh, I, I, I do, but for the point guard thing, like Jabari Smith still figured it out a little bit, right? Like Jabari Smith, I don't think yeah. was like completely optimized, maximized what it could be. Like he's going to go in the top three. I didn't, I didn't love their backcourt. I didn't love that Memphis didn't have a point guard all year. We tried this Simone Bates thing as point guard, which was never going to happen, was never going to work. Uh, but he, he, you kind of have to make that work in spite of a little bit. And I, I like your point about the run to Hellas Jefferson's, the Michael Kidd Gilchrist. The good thing is we're not, I'm not anyway, I'm not talking about taking him in the lottery, which is good. Correct. But my, so my follow up to you, and we'll talk about this the next guy too, is where do you have Josh Minot comparatively to Kendall Brown? Um, I, I have Kendall Brown kind of like late first is where okay. I have him so, right so now. So close-ish, yeah. Yeah, but I I mean, how do you feel about those two prospects comparatively athletically speaking, right? Because I think I always describe Kendall Brown as like a player that has to try harder to stay on the ground than he does actually jumping up in the air. <laughs> right. But I I don't necessarily not saying that Minos not a great athlete, but I don't feel like he's in that kind of same hemisphere. No, and Kendall Brown's like the more Keon Johnson type freaky athlete, which will I'm sure we'll show at the combine. I, I have Minot and the next guy one spot ahead of Kendall Brown, but I sort of think of that that pairing grouping where kind of Brown's jumper like isn't great. Like he had that one yeah. game passing where he had eight or nine assists and then the rest of the season he had two or three. And <laughs> yeah, it, it, he wasn't even on the floor when they're playing North Carolina in the tournament toward the end there, which, which scares me because if your calling card is supposed to be your defense a little bit, because the jumper's not there. And he's also kind of one of these cutters guys that gets up and down the court. Yeah. Uh, but, but these are like investments, man. Like this is a multiple year thing. Like I don't think Josh Minot is going to be ready to see the NBA floor next season maybe not even the one after that like it's gonna be two years of development and it works like the g league works i saw they announced their all g league teams this year and you see the names there's a lot of rookies that you think can can make the next step and they're tailoring their game to the next level and they get two-way opportunities to get to come in get a spell for minutes here and there in the nba due to injuries but if you're drafting him expecting impact in the first year i i wouldn't take him take one Moore. more yeah. take take christian brown take I don't know, one of those guys, take Jalen Williams, someone who's like a little bit more ready to go. Ishmael Kamikaze, but yeah, I, I see what you're saying. Got, got, got to sneak your boy in there. Got to, got to sneak him in there. Uh, I, I just, I did the Euro dive this, uh, this weekend. I don't know. I, I, you, I feel you, good you're about not, you're not a Kamikaze guy. Oh, here know, we go. Man. Well, that, <laughs> well, we, we got another guy to talk about. So we'll, <laughs> I, I have my laundry list of notes on my international things oh, that we'll talk boy. about later. Just take Christian Coloco. Why, why are we going crazy? Right. It's like, um, 
don't 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 slander we won't go down the rabbit hole we won't (laughs) i didn't say anything is Josh Minot just destined to end up on the Toronto Raptors? Is that just, is that just where perfect. he's going to end up? That would yeah. be amazing. That would be amazing. <laughs> it really would. The Raptors, like, contractually obligated to take him, uh, Patrick Baldwin Jr., and just, like, force him. Peyton Watson. Maybe, like, Traquavion Smith. Just somebody who's like, oh, yeah, of course. Like, they'll figure it out. They will. Jake LaRavia would be kind of cool. Yeah, so- I could see it. Yeah, Marcus All won a ring there. So, they've, they've made it work with different <laughs> types of centers. They have. So the last guy we're going to talk about, speaking of quote-unquote projects, reclamation mm. projects, if you will, would be Peyton Watson out of UCLA. Yeah. Matt, you and yeah. I touched on him a little bit when you were on this podcast yeah. last time, but now we've had a whole year we're to here. digest, and spoiler alert, there wasn't too much more to digest. I've made this joke forever about, like, you should have just declared then. Like, I, I said a lot about Mitch McGarry, the national championship game. Like, you shouldn't have played the second half. Like, de- declare in the first half. Just, like, be done with it. Maybe it was the <laughs> final four or whatever. But, it, like, Peyton Watts is just such a another boomer bust guy, right? He, he's late first to me at best. I really liked him out of high school. He started growing into his body late. He has size of perimeter at six foot eight and kind of kept those guard skills as he got better. Uh, he can make some moves off the bounce, utilizes his length well. So he goes to UCLA coming off a of final four and they're returning all their starters. And they bring in Miles Johnson from Rutgers. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know where the minutes are going to be. So I, I thought he'd get 15 to 20 minutes a night instead of 30. I didn't think it would be like 13 at, at most. Uh, I didn't envision a six week stretch where he had a total of one field goal. I didn't envision nah. one game of double-digit points between January 15th and March 25th, but I, I love prospects and that make you do crazy things like this. So, like, I have to believe. When, when he was out there getting burned, he's in that Josh Minot type of range and, and archetype as a switching forward. I, I like how he moves defensively and how he recovers. He can de- defend the ball and switch and recover and defend yeah. the rim. He can create his own shot off the bounce. He does have a little bit of a pull-up. He operates well in space can be one of those guys that uh, comes off screens or set screens. So you can put him in different types of actions. Uh, he can be a shooter or pick and pop. He plays through contact. And when you go back and watch film, if you just watch like the makes and possessions, and that's one of the beautiful things about synergy. If you're just like, Hey, I got 20 minutes. Let me hammer through it. It feels like he should have played more. There wasn't like yeah. these crazy gaps where it was like, Ooh, bad pass or like, ah, I got burnt there. No, like, so we're, we have to rely on limited game film and stuff from high school. So I, I, I pose this. <laughs> I actually had this as a real question. This isn't me. Back yes. Then. Let's go. So Payne Watson, he likely would have been, I would say, a lottery pick if he hadn't played this season, right? I had him I had him as a top 10 guy. So, yeah, probably. So Easy. Easily. Shade and sharp. So very good. That's why we're on this pod, right? So how is he any different than Shade and sharp? Like, high school film is similar. That's the gamble you take. B.J. Boston would have been the same the year before. Probably Zaire Williams, too. It's an inexact science. But my point is, like, I'm going back, and I'm doing the Shane Sharp exercise, too. And I've watched him plenty of times. But we're giving him the benefit of the doubt. Like, Shane Sharp goes back to Kentucky and averages 10 points per game. Like, ooh, we missed. Like, I I thought Damian Collins was going to be a a top 20 pick. He didn't play in Kentucky. Like, he couldn't get on the floor. Like, it's going to take time and development. I really like Shane Sharp. I'm not trying to undersell him. I'm just trying to say for Peyton Watson's case, how much of this was actually he was on an awesome team that was was making this push post-Final Four to do it all over again. The time for development wasn't there. It's still going to take him two years. But, man, I, I wouldn't let him get out of the first round. Maybe it's the 29th pick, 30th pick, but I, I would take that guy. 
So I told Steven before we have the podcast tonight, every podcast, I find a way to throw him a curveball. And now I get to throw you a curveball, Matt. I want Stand you to we'll choke up. Watch Not a great baseball player. Good look, glove at first base. Couldn't hit. Close your eyes up. and swing, Matt. Yeah. I, I They're still you... closed from uh, Josh Minot, so we'll, we'll keep throwing. <laughs> I want you to stay with me on this point that I'm about okay. to make. So Peyton Watson is coming into this draft from the opposite end of the spectrum from this player. Okay. Let's stay with me on this. When I evaluated Marvin Bagley in oh, his boy. draft mm. class, mm-hmm. I said – Here's a guy who is kind of like the NBA, what the NBA's version of silly putty could be. Like you could take his developmental track in so many different directions because he had a variety of different tools that he could go to, right? But if you drafted him and you didn't have a plan, a very specific plan for what you wanted him to be, it could all kind of just like fall through. And that's why I didn't have him as like a top five prospect in that Ooh, draft. Like that. And that's yeah. why he slowed down my board a little bit. And obviously Payne Watts is coming into this at the opposite end of the spectrum because Marvin Bagley was an incredibly productive player at Duke, et cetera, et cetera. But I see Payne Watson in a similar way. He has all of these different tools that you alluded to, all of these different things that he can do on the basketball court. But I feel like if an NBA team that drafts him doesn't have a very specific plan in place for how they want to develop him and are patient enough to do that, that he could fall through the cracks in a very similar way and end up on on, on multiple NBA teams. So Oh, totally. I, I see that, especially when you're 30th, right? Or let's just say like in that kind of area, say 25 to 40, 40, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of those are contenders. A lot of those are winners. Those, those aren't guys that are like, hey, we'll take our time. Like, no, the, the Bucks are trying to win. Like the, the Celtics lost their pick. That's a bad example. But like the, the Suns are trying to win. Like these teams, like they don't necessarily want to wait either. With Bagley, and, and I, I like the comparisons there, just sort of with like the developmental track. I didn't really like buy the the shot from three. I'm like, is he a four? Is he a five? Says he's not a five, but he's like really kind of. People like, were talking about him as potentially as a even a three no, at like, the time. Well, yeah. that's that's the grassroots stuff where you can just do whatever you want. Like, oh, he's a three. No, he drove mm-hmm. on the perimeter with no help defense and scored. Congratulations, you're everybody ever. <laughs> and that's not against him. He was awesome in in high school. He had a, a good season at Duke. For, for Peyton, though, it, it will be getting to the right kind of G League program. You talk to people around UCLA, and they say he's a great kid. He works really hard. He's two to three years away. Like That's that's the truth of it. And we have the other end of the spectrum of Jaime Jaquez announcing before we went on the air here, he's going yeah. back to UCLA, which is great because everyone's in the transfer portal or declaring for the draft. So for once, for a guy that like could have done it and said, hey, I'm going back to school, I was actually happy. Bravo. I'm very I was very, too. I'm very free market, like do what you want, go whatever your, your value is. I, I love that he's actually going back to his college and uh, was like kind of a, a draft board guy, probably a second round pick, right? So Peyton Watson's the, the other direction of that boat. And uh, I hope that, that it works because he's, he's two feet in. Uh, he's, he's a point of no return and he needs to develop. But at, at his size and with kind of his skill set and what I think, He'll be able to do an NBA court when he gets out there. I, I would kind of make that play, albeit later in, in the first round or early second, and say that uh, that that's somebody I, I'd want to roll with. So if, if he would hit at the NBA level, what do you think he would be doing on an NBA floor? Like what what do you think his role should be on an NBA floor? Because like you you hear you hear anything from like you go back and watch like the high school film and he was like an elite transition finisher. Yeah, he was a guy yep. who you want to get moving up and down, a cutter. 
then you kind of hear some of the rumblings like in UCLA practice, like they're trying to have him like operate with the ball in his hands, like running pick and roll yes, sets. Like, guys up, yeah. like, like I, there's, those are like two completely different. So it's everything. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. so it's like, what, what would you, what would you think would be his best path for succeeding on an NBA floor? I'd say the former, at least to start. And, and that's why a guy like Herb Jones has been so good. Cause just like, I'm going to defend my tail off and everything else that happens is gravy. But like, I'm, I'm making my calling card defense. I'm going to defend Peyton Watson. It's like, I'm going to defend and get up and down. If, if I get a touch in the half court, we slow it down. We're running different floppy actions. Great. If not, I'm going to get this rebound, rip and run, go find somebody and dunk and then defend the ball handler 94 feet or whatever it has to be. Go Perfect. ahead, Steven, jump in there. I got a lot of points. I mean, Matt, Matt just dropped a whole bunch in there that I'm, that I'm still kind of chewing on. Matt, first off, do you think that with the way that drafts are now, like we see so many teams have, you know, two or three picks within the first round and some, yes. obviously that means some teams don't have picks at all. Could you see a team like the Spurs, the Thunder, the Grizzlies, right? A team that has a lot of young players already, but they have multiple picks. So, maybe they gamble on a couple of them. Like I could see Memphis just being like, what the heck? Like we're deep anyway, pick them up. You know what I mean? Like, do you think that totally. that is also in the, in the realm of possibility? That, I don't know how they think, but that's how I always think too. Like if you get three of them, one of them just be like complete, like this is a Hail Mary. Like it, it might yeah. hit, he might get cut, but we have two guys that like we're banking on. And I, I think I fell in that trap a little bit with Sharif Cooper last year. I'm like, well, these teams have three picks. Like they're not going to like, yeah. the Houston's not going to not take them. And, they didn't take him and he slid, but that's how I would approach it. Totally. It's like, if, if you're Memphis or you're Oklahoma city at, at some point, and I, I talked to the down to dunk guys a lot about this at some point, Oklahoma city is going to be like, we need to get older. They're, they're still not there yet. <laughs> yeah. Mike Muscala is 26. He may as well be like 56 on that roster. He's the grandpa on the team. Yeah. But if you keep, if you keep hammering away at like, we're just going to build up the the young guys and then, Hey, maybe they get better. We trade them when we get older. That's, that's the type of guy that I'd take like late in the first. That's exactly what, what I would do, uh, I don't think it makes sense if you're a team like that and take three guys and two of them are, are upperclassmen and it kind of like, it is what it is. There's a little bit of upside, but the complete ceiling is is not the same as one of these freshmen who maybe didn't get a time or a situation, but there's more there than that's meets the eye, meets the film, I guess. Yeah, and I, one other question that I got for you here is that, do you feel like there's going to be like this continuing trend? It feels like that over the past couple of drafts that we're seeing it. And you touched on a lot of these guys already, but even a guy like Patrick Baldwin Jr. This season, Zaire Williams, you touched on him. Jane McDaniels was a guy that yeah. was, you know, highly touted and then sure. had a kind of a down season. I would, a lot of people felt like in Washington. That guy never left my lottery, Steven. So you Dude, me either. He was, a, he was a top five pick for me. He was he a left top my, five pick. I, I, I had him number one in the class 1.2. I'll own that hand up. Hey, it, it happens to the best of us, man. You know that. But do you think that we're going to continue to see like a trend of players in kind of like less than ideal situations? Because I would say that, you know, Peyton Watson declared to go to UCLA, didn't know what was going to happen with Juzang and Jaime Hawkins. And you just mentioned Jaime Hawkins is coming back again now. I feel like a lot of people wanted to pre-draft him this year, knowing that he was going to come back anyway. But do you think that we're going to continue to see uh, highly touted players kind of continue down this track where teams are going to be like, well, crap, you know, they didn't go to the best situation, but their high school stuff and, you know, EYBL stuff look mm -hmm. great. You know, do we take swings on guys like that? A little bit. The game has changed where 
not just remove this for a second. Like G League Ignite is a real pathway that that pays a yeah, lot of money yeah. for three to four Jane guys. Jane Hardy, play, another right? one, right? Yeah. yeah, and and like the NIL, there there's money there for guys to go back to school. I don't know how much it factored into Jaime Jaquez. I have no idea what the deals are there. And the third is like the not the Ignite, the actual G League itself is paying more money. It's not for a while that league was like you're paying you're making twenty five grand a year. It's like man, so I got to go to school or I'm going to make twenty five grand. But if I'm first round pick, I'm guaranteed five hundred grand. So there's such that there was such this major like holy crap swing. But now like it's it's coming. The equilibrium is, is balancing out a little bit. So with having more of these options like saying you're better yourself and go and be a second round pick isn't the same what it used to be in a good sense i mean there's more guaranteed money there's more two-way contracts out there that teams are dangling and it just just takes one team to say hey i, I really like that coach at that school uh I, I don't necessarily think that like he wanted to play him need to play him like he's trying to win he's trying to take him along slowly we're gonna pull him we're gonna put him in our developmental system we'll get him there it might take a year or two but hey, we took three first round picks. We have no need for him to play right now. We got 15 guys on the roster upstairs, up top. So we'll we'll see if it pans out. If it doesn't, that's okay too. For sure. Yeah. And I think that we've beaten up the gameplay of uh Peyton Watson enough. I, I'm like you. I kind of have him in that um kind of middle to late first round. And it's yeah. solely just another close my eyes and and throw the dart or swing and hope it hits. But I don't know. It just like not seeing him on college really doesn't take away what we did see coming into college. Like if that makes sense, I don't feel like we, we did not see enough to not, not like, you know what I mean? Like it's a whole bunch of just unknown with him right now. And we're tempering expectations. I, I, one yeah. of the luxuries that, that we all have and draft Twitter all has is like, we have no repercussions. So like we exactly. could say, Hey, I got mine on fifth. Like, what are you talking about? Whatever you miss. He's like, ah, okay, I'll do another board next year. Oh, well. Like you, you do that for the Grizzlies, like you're fired, right? Like that doesn't happen. Like yeah. maybe the kid hits and he pans out and he's really good, but there's there's too much of a variable that it could be a miss. We're hedging our bets in a good sense, saying, hey, maybe he's 25 to, to 40. We're not getting crazy and saying, I'm taking him 12th over Jeremy Sohan and and whatever. Who's one Jang? Yeah. Fair enough. You you have dang that high, Diang? You have him that high? 16th. Okay. He, man, he is he is climbing in a hurry. I gotta go back and watch him some more before I was I, make what, any I, sort I of was I was wrong. I was wrong for not seeing enough. And I think he's gonna be kind of in that like 16 to 20 range. It's it's more a a byproduct of like the other guys in that range that I'm just kind of t- like not as high on now that I've, I've watched more. But at his size and, and what he does off the bounce, and he's been a different player like the last month or two. When, when I watched yeah. his first games of the year, I said, there's no way. Like this, what are we talking about? When people had him here, I had him like in the 40s. And then I, I watched a few games and said, ooh, I could have uh, – I should have followed along more with this. But with as many college games we have on and pretending to watch some NBA, there's only so many hours <laughs> in the day. I don't have the same energy drink surplus that you guys have to watch film and – drink coffee all night long so that one fell through the cracks for me yeah and plus you know sam makes you watch all of these movies and tv shows and stuff on top of it <laughs> i don't well, but so. it, it does i've had people ask me and friends be like do you watch this that many movies i'm like i feel like it's a homework assignment now so i gotta watch like one <laughs> new one every week and my other trick is like i just write down everything i watch and then when it gets to the podcast i'll see if we've talked about it yet i'm like oh i watched um yeah i watched life and beth with amy schumer like what do you think i watched a month ago but i gotta have a few bullets in the holster there you go, go. Well, I did not expect to whip out 
the Marvin Bagley reference on this podcast, but I'm 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 glad I did. I think there was some some good. Where did you have Marvin Bagley on your board? By the way, uh, that was actually year. like I've and just full disclosure. I've actually only had a board for like three years because I okay. I, didn't Same, have, I, didn't, I didn't have to put anything out there. So like I I liked them. I don't think I had them. Uh, well, that was the so what was the actual order of that draft? So it was Let's, it was it was Aiton, Aiton, and yeah. then then it Bagley, was Bagley, Bagley, and then, then Doncic, Trey, the Doncic, Trey, yeah, yeah, and then Jaron, and then Trey. So, so yeah. below below eight, I had eight and one. I had Doncic two. I think I probably had him, him three. That's that's. I wasn't I, I wasn't as big a fan as Jaron Jackson. I didn't think he'd be as good as he was, uh, and I was lower on Trey Young. I was I was also lower on Trey Young. As I said, mm-hmm. Marvin Bagley slid a little bit for me. That was I famously had Wendell Carter in my top five. I famously had Lonnie Walker in my yeah. top five. Boy, we talk about Mrs. Holt. <laughs> well, then again, he's still stuck in Pop's doghouse for whatever reason. But that's that's a they, they just have they just have a lot of guys that are kind of similar. That's I, that's all. They've, they've stockpiled and Duante Murray hit, so it's like whatever. They exactly. They're too, they're too concerned about it. Oh, one of the God. woes of pre-drafting with uh, Lonnie Walker there, you know. Yeah, I saw him play again Boston College, and a couple of those misses, I was like, I don't, I don't know, man, I, I can't, I can't get there. Hmm. Well, Matt, I appreciate you taking the time out of a busy schedule for yourself to come on this podcast because it's it, it's busy for for all of us the, this time of year. So any any time a guest wants to to come on the podcast and chat with us, I legitimately sincerely appreciate it so thank you so much matt for coming on and talking with us where can everybody find you and everything you're doing in case they aren't i I find that very hard to believe at this point that they don't know where to find you but just in case well thanks for having me first and foremost too because uh i try to keep up with you guys it's tiring to wake up in the morning and see all the tweets (laughs) and the videos and the articles i'm like i gotta do more here other than stupid video tweets once in a while which can be found at uh i'm just on twitter at Matt underscore Penny. And then I'm on the Game Theory podcast with Sam Vecini talking NBA draft every week, every other week or so. You can also subscribe to Game Theory with Sam Vecini on YouTube, which um, has built up a little bit of a subscriber base there. We record the podcast so you can have it both digitally, audioly, every other L E Y word you can. Uh, I watch so it yeah, on YouTube. I, I, I watch it on YouTube because I want to I want to see your guys' nice oh, faces. You, nice. I, I click on it to just see like uh any like bizarro comments they have in there. There's usually a few in like a different language. I'm like not translating that. I don't care. And <laughs> lately there's been like somebody yelling at us about Christian Brown not being high enough. So that's that's the beauty of the internet, I think. You sh- you should see when, probably should a lot of when... guys that know ceilings to be honest with you, man. I apologize <laughs> for my <laughs> just a burner account. I'm like I'm having thirty of like leave him alone. He's, he's you sh- you should see pick. some of the some pick? of the yes. YouTube comments that uh that Rucker clips for us from our from our YouTube account, and some of them are uh yeah they're they're gems. To, we'll we'll just we'll leave it at that. that it, was, it was it was it's the same on like the Apple Podcast review too. <laughs> okay, one, somebody I, I think it was autocorrect or whatever said uh, Sam Vaccine is great at what he does. I'm like oh that's not quite it. It's, <laughs> not vaccine we could have used one he didn't get covered it's what perfect time too considering you know what just happened to sam you know i know man oh that poor guy he's back he's back home though he is he made it to australia he texted me say land i said you're never coming back are you he said i don't know man it's it's gonna be a while not for another few years yeah he i was i was trying to get him to, to come on the podcast actually this week after you and he told me about everything that happened and i'm like oh jesus oh, yeah. like yeah you're Poor not you're guy. not coming on yeah. my podcast we were, like, we were, yeah, we were he... talking we were talking about pod maybe it's like i don't know man i'm fighting this COVID thing it was his birthday the nba playoffs he had a 
a lot of balls in the air. Thank, thank yeah. God. Thank God that he's back and, and able to do what he does best. Yeah. Steven, go ahead. Plug yourself, my friend. Well, yeah, just uh, Matt, again, I'll, I'll thank you individually now. You know, I always describe you as like a friend of draft Twitter. Like you're, I try you're, always, I try you're <laughs> always reaching out and being super available to people. I know that all of us at No Ceilings appreciate it. I'm sure everybody listening appreciates it too. So definitely appreciate you coming on the show today and, uh, you know, supporting the uh, the NWO no, here. Always. Wolfpack, <laughs> black and white, whatever. Whatever the colorway is, is this week, I'm supporting it. <laughs> there you go but um for anyone who wants to follow me they can do so I'm most active on twitter at steven g hoops that's steven with a ph g hoops uh just had the weekend warrior come out where feature prospect um just dropped and i have another one coming up this sunday and it's going to be oscar shibway so i'm very excited to write about him unless something happens and <laughs> i can't write about him anymore right. which happened the last time i spoke about it too early but um, yeah, and Nathan, you know, you and I, we have a bunch of great shows lined up and got to start working on cementing my big board so we can walk through and talk through them together, man. I'm excited to do that. Yeah, Oscar, let let Steven write about you first before you potentially make it. <laughs> Come on, man. So it was, so it was it, literally... It, it, probably, it, it probably came through on your phone like as Ron here, like, son of uh, why did you not do so that? So he, he went to go spoil who he was writing about on this podcast the last time that he did that, and it was actually going to be Mike Miles. And then literally, like, I think hours after we did it, right? Like, Mike Miles said... He was no, I think, I think it was just like how Matt said it. I think it was actually during the show that he was like, no, I'm going to run back. So I was like, crap but i ended up writing about marjan bochamp and that was actually pretty cool so yeah, yeah the, the, the mike miles that. thing though i think caught a lot of people by surprise i was at the final four with a couple of texas people who were pretty tied in They're like oh he hates school he's not going back no chance the next day <laughs> i was like mike miles back to school I'm like, okay well i gotta work with my sources a little bit here i gotta tighten up oh yeah, my god he, he duped us he duped us but yeah just um like share subscribe rate and review all that fun stuff here to draft deeper go follow no ceilings on twitter at no ceilings nba Go to the website, noceilingsnba.com. Go to the YouTube channel, No Ceilings TV. We just teased a heck of a trailer for an upcoming project that we have. It's called On the Clock. Um, not going to spoil any details, but I'll just put it to you like this. Corey Tulliba is making all the graphics for it, so you know it's going to be fire. So just be ready for that. And you can follow me on Twitter at Draft Deeper. Make sure you do subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, NoSeelingsNBA.com is the place to be. I just wrote about Bryce McGowan's today as recording this on April 18th. Definitely go and read up on that piece, whether you're a Bryce McGowan's fan or not a Bryce McGowan's fan. Maybe, maybe I read you'll it have anyway. something to take away <laughs> from, from, from my piece. But And until we meet again, we will certainly have a fire show for you later mm -hmm. in the week after you hear this one as well. But until then, thank you all for listening and I hope you all have a wonderful rest of your week. Mm -hmm.